if you don't sleep, you're not going to do parenting well. You've heard me say this so many times that this self-care piece, take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, your children third, because in that way we do our best work with our children. The number one foundation of self-care I believe in my heart is not nutrition, it's not drinking water, it's not exercise and body movement, it's not even breathing on purpose. I believe it's sleep and I say that because I'm married and when she doesn't sleep, holy crap, we gotta make some changes in the house. But the sleep piece is so huge for the struggling teenager. Parents, you know this, you have asked me questions about it, you have bombarded my emails about sleep and teen. Schools don't let them do it, video games don't let them do it, caffeine doesn't let them do it, so we got a sleep expert on the show with us. I met Melissa Millinock. God, I hope I said your last name right. Did I say it right? Uh, you're muted, so I'm going to have to, that's a thumbs down, I can say, because you actually said it. Melissa and I met at the IFA award ceremony in Vegas uh, just recently at the uh, International Foundations of Healthcare. Uh, I believe she won an award, Top 100 Visionaries of uh, Healthcare. And we, we were able to do a panel together and she is an expert in sleep. She's written the book on it. She's the, the big smart, big brain on it. So we're gonna talk to Melissa about sleep and why it's the foundation of your survival. Not just doing well as a parent, not just your, key, your teen needs to sleep more. If you don't sleep, you die. And that's the bottom line with sleep. And Melissa's going to help us figure out the healthiest ways to sleep. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I am your host, Aaron Huey. My guest today is Melissa. Say your last name. You are unmuted now. What's your last name? Melanic. Melanic. God, I blew that. Melissa Melanic. And you're Dr. Melanic. Is that right? Yes. Okay, Dr. Melanic. I'm going to say your last name, Melanic, a thousand times so I don't call you <laughs> Mel Melanoc. I'm the substitute teacher who said it wrong. Melissa, it's great to see you again. We're live on Facebook. We're recording this on Zoom, obviously. Uh, but it's great to see you again since we saw each other in Vegas and did the panel together. Uh, Melissa, how'd you get involved in, in sleep? What, what was the whole thing about you and sleep? Why does that, why do you care so much? Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for asking me to be here today. Of course. Sleep, as you said, is such a foundational aspect of our lives in so many different ways. And so as a licensed clinical psychologist, when I started out with my training, with my schooling, with my research, I actually originally started in the trauma world, doing a lot of work with PTSD. And as I was doing research and diving into how our emotions are affected and what trauma does and how it impacts all different aspects of our lives, a lot of my research kept taking me back and every single patient that I talked to, sleep problems, sleep problems. Research shows right. us that over 90% of people that have had these traumatic and stressful life events, sleep is the number one thing that's affected. And so as I started to dive more into it and really understood how sleep was so foundational from whether it's unhealthy coping strategies, which unfortunately lead to addictions, whether it's levels of anxiety, depression, mood, you name it, sleep was such a key piece. And so about 10, 15 years ago, I really, really said, you know, I need to dive into this, understand this better, consume as much as I could. And from there on out, it moved from working with my patients, conducting research, 
internationally. And then next thing, working with businesses, organizations, and companies to speak and train and really just help to bring the message from the youngest newborn to our most seasoned, uh, you know, our mature adults that sleep is such an underlying foundational piece. And when you help somebody sleep better, you truly impact their lives as well as everyone else around them. You know, there's a, there's a big thing that goes around where we, we sort of insinuate, if not come right out and say that, oh, so-and-so only sleeps three hours a night and five hours a night and look at how successful they are and look at how, and I am certainly an early riser that I love and hold as for myself as a, you know, get up before your competition. However, I'm in bed by 7 8 o'clock at night and I'm relaxing. I, you know, a lot of time I'm, I am either reading or I am either watching some, something on a, on a little screen. Uh, I do take supplements to help me. I do take, uh, all kinds of things. So I'm going to want to ask a lot because at some point, the things that we use to help us aren't actually helping us. The things we brag about aren't actually things we should be bragging about. Is it just the bottom line that we need eight hours, good, healthy, natural sleep? That's it. That all, that's all everybody else. Shut up. <laughs> so I will debunk the myth on the set number of hours from the standpoint that we know that the average adult needs somewhere on average around seven to nine hours. Okay. But that eight hours is an average, just like a shoe size. The average okay. adult woman right now in the US wears an eight and a half to a nine. Doesn't mean that someone doesn't wear a six and a half and some of our moms on here listening don't wear a 10. Right. So the idea is that that eight hours being an average, a lot of it is determined by one, what you're doing. So we know that sleep is important for obviously physical body repair and restoration. The more active people, the more sleep they're going to need. Take a marathon runner. They're going to need to eat more calories to fuel their body. We also know based on how much we're doing mentally and psychologically and to have that opportunity for that to repair. And it also just depends on how our body functions. So if you're thinking that you have two people that look exactly the same, one person might need 1,800 calories and one person needs 2,500 because their metabolism is different. Well, it depends on how quickly your body cycles through the stages of sleep, how many cycles you need. There are so many different facets. So we can take an average seven to nine hours for the adult. We find is for most of our children, it's going to be much higher, nine to 10. The key is that the older we get, believe it or not, the less sleep we need. That's the terrible joke the universe plays on us, sure. that we're young and never have enough time. And then as we've earned and become more mature, we're waking up at three in the morning. Now, that's interesting. You said something that I've been pointing out a lot to people lately is that we, we talk about not having a much time, enough time, especially when you're an entrepreneur, you're a coach, you're a therapist, you're a psychologist. If your job is to help other people facilitate growth and well-being, there's not enough time to do so. However, I, I have believed that it's not about time. The truth is we have enough time. We have 24 hours, hours in a day with which to do things. The problem is we don't have enough energy because we need sleep to replenish this energy. Is that accurate? Or are you saying that you don't get around that? You just have to do the sleep piece. So I'll answer that in a few ways. Okay. One is going to be the fact that you're going to need the amount of, of sleep that your body needs to be at your optimal performance level. 
So maybe you listen to societal saying you snooze, you lose, time is money. It's that badge right, of honor of right. who gets there earliest or pulled the all-nighter and it shows that you really cared or you know all these other pieces. But we're thinking that by reducing our sleep, that's affording us more time to do things, but it actually will make us less effective and less efficient because we're not able to fully respond, to fully react. We know that good quality sleep significantly impacts our ability to respond to challenges. That's why for daylight savings, when we lose one hour, we see a significant uptick in the number of car accidents the next day and cardiac episodes the next day. Huh. The amount of time, oftentimes it's yes, for some people need more, some people need less. So it's figuring out, and we can talk about this later if you want, how do you find it out for yourself in your current stage of life? Because you may have needed more at a different time or less, but it really is figuring out what you need. Because if you're not getting enough, and yeah, you may have more hours, but you're not gonna be as effective and efficient. Additionally, what happens though, is that many times we're trying to force ourselves to sleep. So we're thinking, oh, I didn't sleep all last night. I need to go to bed earlier. And maybe we're spending 10 hours in bed, but we're only sleeping for six of those. Right. So those are actually strategies where you can be more efficient. So I tell people, I do the unseen where I give you hours back in your day, where we teach you how to spend six hours in bed to get six hours of sleep instead of 10 hours in bed to get six hours of sleep. Huh. So then there's the gift of time. There are your extra four hours, but you got the sleep your body needed. One of the strategies we use at our facility with the teenagers is that at eight o'clock, we turn down the lights of the facility. We put on music, soft music, uh, not heavy metal music. That's what I listen to before bed. We put on soft music, uh, one of two, uh, Mozart's violin concertos or Gregorian chants, um, only because those two soundtracks have research behind them about brain chemistry, but that's a different episode. Mm -hmm. We burn incense and we ask the kids to use quiet voices. And it's unbelievable how the kids, the teenagers play along with that because it's time to get ready for bed. And so we tune down the house. Um, uh, and the teenagers at our facility, because they have no social media access, they have, they, they ate dinner at an earlier time. They've done their, uh, uh, SRT time, their self-regulation time. We've done a facility SRT. These kids are in asleep by nine 30, 10 30, and they're not up breakfast is at seven 30. So they're getting a significant amount of sleep, but let's talk about a couple things. A is wind down necessary. B, how much sleep does a teenager need? Is that the same as an adult that every single one's different? Or are we actually doing teens a bigger disservice by not really regulating the sleep pattern? You ask so many great questions all in one question. <laughs> so many things to touch on there. So the first key piece is that a wind down routine we find is really effective because what it does is it helps our brains and our bodies to know that it's time to prepare for sleep. And so there is the key, what you also touched on that you may not even realize is having a consistent bedtime and a consistent wake time seven days a week. That's one of the best things that you can do for quality sleep. Hmm. Just like when you eat at seven o'clock every night, your body learns to get hungry around 630. 
and you'll start to feel hungry because it knows food is coming. When you're going to bed at the same time every night, your body learns when to feel tired. So you're more likely to fall asleep at that time instead of that frustration of tossing and turning and in bed and am I going to sleep tonight? And when your body knows it's waking up at the same time every day, you'll see that you transition into the appropriate stages of sleep that you wake up feeling more awake and alert instead of groggy. So one of the things that you touched on that may not even realize is the consistent schedule. The routine. And it's not being consistently inconsistent. It's not that you have one schedule during the week and then one on the weekends. You wouldn't eat healthy during the week and have all snacks and fast food on the weekends and hope to lose weight. Now, with that being said, the wind down routine feeds into that. So when you are doing the same thing every night and you're listening to certain music and you're, you know, all these other pieces, not only is it shutting down your senses, so your body is having, your brain is working less, there's not as much it has to attend to, but you're also, it's that conditioning, right? So your body is learning, okay, this is what happens to predict when sleep is going to happen. Pavlov's dog, ring a bell, then we get food. We do want to be cautious of what some of those habits are. Because what happens is sometimes we end up connecting and associating certain things with bedtime that aren't going to be helpful. So if you have to listen to a podcast to fall asleep, if you have to have certain incense burning, then on the nights when you're visiting with family or you're traveling or you've left the facility and now you're back at home and that's no longer there, you're going to have a harder time to fall asleep because your brain didn't have those triggers and cues. So you just want to make sure that whatever that wind down routine is, is that the consistency can maintain consistency regardless of environment that you're in. So uh, yeah, I, 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 because <laughs> so much I can say to this. Yeah, no doubt. I, I mean, a you should have your own podcast, like just called "Go to Sleep," and the the. <laughs> But, but, and not put you to sleep about sleep. Well, I'm great because you could, people could listen to it at night and that could be the purpose of your show. I think it's brilliant. I've trademarked the idea already, Doc. So, um, the, but the question now is, is that if, if, the, if the routine, if the context of the routine is more important than the content, then does that undermine what we're being told about watching screens before we go to bed? I happen to know people who do it every single night and it helps them fall asleep. I use air quotes, but they really do fall asleep to it every single night. Multiple things to that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. So the first piece is, as I said, it's, so if I said to you, you were going to go to the movies, yeah. movies are opening back up. You're going to go to the movies. What snack would the average person get? What would you think? Popcorn. So your brain goes movies, popcorn. Yeah. I want any, every individual that their brain sees their bed and they go bed sleep. So the first thing uh, is what are we going to connect our bed with? What are we going to associate it with? Your bed should be connected with rest, with sleep, not with watching TV, not with listening to things, not with, because then your brain's going to get confused. Am I supposed to be awake right now or am I supposed to be asleep right now? So when I'm on my social media and I'm looking at all these videos and clips and other things, one, I'm waking my brain up instead of letting it wind down. Right. So that's where some of the wind down comes through. If my body is amped up and I, we know that our temperature drops as we're sleeping, there's just all these different pieces. But if I'm amped up, it's harder to relax. So that's where a wind down routine is really helpful and important. When you bring in your technology and you bring in your screens, that's a whole nother system that activates with our sleep and with our awake and alert. So your circadian rhythm is driven very much by light cues. So you have your optic nerve perceiving light, sends messages to this part of the brain, 
super chiasmatic nucleus called the SCN, that think of it as that for all intents and purposes, switches sleep on and off. Okay. Well, even when your eyes are closed, you perceive light when it goes, because that was evolution. The sun comes up, you wake up. So one, when you have technology and screens that close to your face and you're still perceiving light, then that sends a message to your brain that it's still light out. It contradicts the natural cues of the sun setting. It's dusk. It's getting darker. It's, that's your wind down routine light wise. So we see children delaying their ability to fall asleep. Some people as much as two hours wow. just because they're on technology. Adults too, but I know we're talking about kids and adolescents. Well, too. no, I'm not, I'm talking about adults because we are, this is a show for parents and parents are stressed out. So the one glass of wine turns into three and then Netflix says, are you still watching? And like, like these are the, this is, we oh, go. judge Netflix. I am. I know. <laughs> I, I'm one of those two. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, but to your point, the thing is that, so one, there's that light piece. If you're going to be on technology, put it in night mode, black background with white lettering instead of white background with black lettering emits less light, at least help the wind down from a light standpoint. And if you're going to sleep later than the sun comes up, eye mask, blackout curtains, something to help because that light will wake you up. Yes. But you're touching on a bigger piece that we can't lose sight of. And that's the fact that there is so much that goes on throughout our days and our brains need to process. It needs to make sense of it. There are a lot of things that, especially for stressed out parents, we're worried about. We have stressors. Well, we go, go, go throughout the day. We're distracting our brain and we crawl into bed and this first time we're alone with our thoughts all day. Right. Scary. Yeah. So we try to do things to distract our mind because we don't want to be worrying. We don't want to have those distressful thoughts. So, okay, I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to watch this thing on TV. It's going to distract my brain until I'm so exhausted that I collapse. The problem is while we think that's the quick fix, it's actually just as bad as other things that we're doing to try to knock ourselves out because we're never processing through the stressors. We're never actually giving our brain that time. So we're either going to wake up in the middle of the night with our brain running and racing. We're not going to be getting the restful sleep. I will share with you the most of your listeners are going to, I'm going to ask you to suspend judgment for the moment, but I can tell you one strategy that I have found that has worked, whether it's with a, with a teen or an adolescent, with my military guys deployed, with my single moms, corporate executives across the band. Before you go to bed, take a notepad and a pen, no technology, no notepad and a pen. On the right-hand side, write your to-do list for the next day. I have to go to the dry cleaners. I have to go to the bank. I have to get, because you're going to lay in bed and make your to-do list for the next day. And if you've ever tried to turn off your computer and the hardware is ready to shut down and the message on the screen says such and such running in the background, your brain's not shutting off, you're not sleeping. On the right-hand side, write your to-do list. It'll actually make you more effective and efficient the next day because when you wake up before your coffee, you know what you need to do. On the left-hand side, I want you to challenge yourself. Set a timer for five minutes on your phone. Five minutes will feel like the longest thing in the world. You'll eventually build up. And I want you to literally brain dump everything that's in your mind for five solid minutes. Do not pick up that pen. You're going to start writing and it's, I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about finances. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And as you write, the first minute is going to be surface level things that you're aware of. And that's kind of always there. The more you dig in stuff is going to start pouring out and you're going to be shocked. I can't believe I was thinking about that. You start problem solving through it as you're doing this, you're not creating more worries. 
You're just getting everything out, that virus on the computer running in the background, slowing it down. Right. Everything's coming out. You're going to feel exhausted. It doesn't have to be perfect. It can be bullet points, random thoughts. Set it on the nightstand. Get into bed without your other stuff on. If your brain's still racing, get out of bed and write again. Just like you train a puppy to potty outside and keep putting it outside, you're retraining your brain that it doesn't get to worry in bed. And so what happens is you take control back over that. You wake up in the middle of the night, you do the same thing. You find that within about a week or so, you stop worrying and you're able to go to bed more restfully and fall asleep faster and you're more productive and effective. Okay. That's massive. That's bad. And I've, I've got my notes because I'm going to start doing this at night. But you're actually saying I got to get out of bed if my brain turns on again. I got to leave the bed. Man. If you have been laying in bed and you're, think about it, because then yeah. I have this image that I use when I give talks and it's a bed that looks like the monster that you're crawling into it. For so many people, they dread going to sleep because the bed is where they associate with the worry and with the stress. And that's when you're alone without the distractors. So people either need the TV and other pieces to distract their mind, or that's what they've conditioned themselves that they need to fall asleep. So you're retraining your brain. The bed truly is for sleep, sleep and sex. That's it. Everything else outside of bed. If you want to read for your wind down routine, great. Do it outside of bed, watch TV outside of bed. If you need the technology, have, don't have the overhead lights on, have smaller lights, slowly reduce the light exposure, just like when the sun is setting and you get that less light. It's those same cues that your body evolutionary has, you know, from an evolution standpoint is used to responding to. Let's not fight those systems. But if your mind's running and racing and you're in bed, you're going to start connecting your bed with stress and you're teaching your brain. I haven't let you process the rest of the day. When you crawl in bed, I'm going to let you do it. So it's going to push it even into higher gear because it needs to process. This is brilliant. So, so I, I want to ask, you know, let's, let's transition the conversation over to the idea that children need more sleep. And we are currently in an environment where video games, social media, cell phones, that light flickering against their face. I, I have a client. I, I went over to his house the other day and he had stayed up all night, woke up at seven or finally went to bed at 7 a.m. And then had to wake up 20 minutes before I showed up so he could do his one-on-one -on -one session with me. So we had maybe four and a half hours of sleep. He's 14. All night he had been stimulating his brain. And this is not something that we have to explain why this is bad for a kid. Because there's not a parent alive, including this boy's parents, who don't realize that that's bad. And we have so many shows about turn off their internet, control their access, just like the video game does. What I want to know is what gets damaged and is there permanent damage done by a child not getting enough sleep? There are so many ways to answer that question. And so let me, let me answer one of a couple of your questions in succession. Okay. So one of the first things when you're saying getting enough sleep, and I know you asked this a little bit earlier in the podcast and we hadn't had a chance to get to it. There's, if you think from a stat standpoint, you look, for instance, the sleep foundation, you, know, you can go to sleepfoundation.org and look or sleep.org. You'll see that. So if you're thinking you're six to 13 year olds, the average should be getting about nine to 11 hours, Jeez. but it can range from, from eight to 12. When you get to your teens, about ages 14 to 17, 
the average they should be getting is at least eight to 10, up to as many as 11. For 18 to 25 and above, you still can see for many of these kids, and I'm still calling them kids, yeah. needing up to 10 or 11 hours, even though the average is seven to nine. So when you're talking about the amount of sleep that's needed, while we start to see we're getting those ranges, the key, because you're talking about what's developing, we know that for our brain, the brain actually continues to grow and develop through our mid-20s. Right. So it's usually not until you're about age 24 to 27 that we see the brain kind of reaching its optimal growth where it's going to be. Obviously, there's plasticity and changes, but in terms of really growing and developing. And for it tends to be a little bit later for boys, closer to the 27, and for females, closer to the 24, but there's obviously differences. And the last parts of the brain that develop typically involve judgment, decision-making, and impulse control. If those ever develop in men. All right, I said so, it, you didn't. If we think of if we think of the core of what sleep is needed for, we know that sleep is so important from a body repair and restoration, for growth, for health. It's important for immune functioning, for metabolism, as well as for memory consolidation. So when you're not getting the enough sleep, and especially when you're not being able to get into REM sleep, that memory consolidation where you're taking what you're learning and you're converting it from short term that day to longer term recall all of these aspects. So the, we're not affording our bodies and our minds the ability to really have the full, full restoration and repair. Now, our bodies and our brains are smart. It doesn't mean that they're not going to make adaptations, right? You can look at the way that the bodies work. So you have a, a woman that's pregnant and doesn't realize it and isn't getting enough calcium. Her body starts to pull it from her bones to feed the baby, but right. then she breaks a, a limb, right? So we're going to see that if we're not getting the amount of sleep that's needed, that they're going to talk, our system will toggle back and forth between body repair and psychological mental repair and what's needed. But over time, when we have significant sleep deprivation, it does have a significant impact physiologically as well as psychologically across the board. Can it damage our development permanently? It can have an impact on development, which then if we think of the consequences and how it goes down the road. I mean, there are a lot of individuals that in a lot of kids that have spent decades not getting enough sleep. And it doesn't mean that they haven't turned out to be smart, intelligent individuals, but it's really hard to tell what their optimal would have looked like, right? So you can take it like for an athlete, for instance, if you do your two workouts a day, but you're not getting quality sleep, you're not going to see the benefits. You could take two people that do the same workouts and one sleeps optimal and one doesn't, and their muscles grow differently and the way their body responds and how quickly they heal. So if we think of that impact over time of, oh, maybe you get injured and you heal slower or your immune system is weakened or your mind isn't as sharp, think of those impacts, consequences that it has on everything else. So does it help them to be sharp enough to be able to respond to a challenge or to take that test or to really develop and learn in school as well as adaptive physically for the body and development and growth hormones and all kinds of other pieces. When we come back, I want to talk about the strategies that you've come up with and that you teach in addition to this brilliant one of the, the two-sided chart um, to help people battle the 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 fact that life isn't built for children or adults to get enough sleep what can we do to counter that so we're going to be right back 
shows like this, videos that I've made, interviews that I've had with the experts in all the fields of mental health, addiction, and most importantly, recovery, and not just the person who's struggling with mental health and addiction recovering, but the whole family in recovery. All of the things that I have done can be found on Parenting Teens That Struggle. That is a free Facebook group where every day I am posting videos, I am answering questions, I am uh, talking to people one-on-one, -on -one, and most importantly, parents are helping parents. You wanna listen to this podcast, it will be there on Parenting Teens That Struggle. I am promoting the growth of this group because as someone who runs a residential treatment center, one of the most successful ones in the US, I might add. I am so sick and tired of being all, the last line of defense before institution and death for the children in our world. I want to be on the front lines out there with prevention. And when we're dealing with, with sleep, like today's guest with Dr. Melissa, when we're dealing with uh, opioids or uh, ADHD or any of these things that is taking place in our families, there is only so much good we can do when things have hit rock bottom. So what's it like to get out there on the front lines of prevention? So if you are a parent and you are struggling with your teen, please go to a free Facebook group called Parenting Teens That Struggle. I am the one who moderates it. I answer questions directly and I have other experts who post their information there. You'll be able to find this podcast. You'll be able to find access to all kinds of information that you need to support your family so that your family can support your struggling teen. I will see you on Parenting Teens That Struggle on Facebook. So school goes till three o'clock in the afternoon and kids are loaded up on homework. Teens are loaded up on homework. The only way they're actually connecting with friends now is on social media and online because they might be 30 minutes from their best friends, but they stay in contact with these friends online. And so doing homework while you're also being with your friends online is delaying the amount of time it takes for you to accomplish your homework. Uh, we're eating late because by God, if you want to have a mortgage or afford the rent, parents are working till late in the evening. Maybe we're sitting down together to eat a meal and everybody's retreating to their maladaptive coping strategy, i.e. watching TV every single night or going online every single night. And we have to all, parents and teenagers included, start again at 6 a.m., 5 a.m. in the morning. So... It doesn't seem like the world right now is built for us to get enough sleep. Is that true? Or are, is that, or am I making the excuse? No, I mean, there are so many expectations that are out there. And especially for these kids, the pressures of it's not just to do well in school and to get good grades, but now the extracurriculars and what needs to happen and all these different activities. And so as we see those impacts, to get back to even the, the question you had asked a minute ago, we know that for chronic sleep deprivation, it's linked to cardiovascular disease, obesity, type two diabetes, not to mention, we start to see that as one of the triggers and one of the impact factors for then substance use, yeah. which we can get into if you want, but it's not just 
for to help me fall asleep or what am I using to keep me to stay asleep? So then, oh, I have to get my homework done. I want to have a social life. I want to make sure that I'm performing well. And I go to my practice. I spend time with my friends and now it's nine o'clock at night and I have homework. Let me take some type of stimulant to stay awake to get that done. Or I didn't sleep enough at night seeing the kids even on caffeine and all these other aspects, not to mention the anxiety that's then provoked when we're not getting the quality sleep. And what are we doing to cope with that? Before we start to get into the strategies of you answering the question for us, when I call you in a panic, it says, you know, I'm having another bout of insomnia, or I just haven't slept well, or my bed sucks, but I can't afford a new mattress, whatever it is. I want you as the doctor, as, as a, a, a clinician, as someone who understands sleep at the level that you do, speak to this because it, it is something that I've dealt with more than you would realize. And I hate saying this out loud because I know I'm going to be outing some of the parents who come to me for comfort and support. I work with a lot of families who allow their children to smoke cannabis in the evening to help them go to sleep. Is that, I, I think I know your answer, but can you speak to that? There are a number of ways to approach the topics. So what we'll say from a very high level of treating sleep is that we know that according to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, that the best gold standard treatment for improving insomnia and sleep. So meaning help you to fall asleep faster, sleep straight through the night, wake up and feel rested, all of those different aspects, that the gold standard is actually behavioral in nature. It's doing behavioral and cognitive strategies of changing the ways that you think about sleep and the way that your behaviors are. And that's even above any of our prescribed sleep medications, like your Ambien's and Lunesta's and Balsamra's and other pieces, which again, I'm not saying any positive or negative on any of these pieces. I do always clarify that I'm not a prescribing provider, um, but it's one of those pieces where what happens is we see that these become a crutch or a support. And so just like when you have a cast on your arm and the muscles atrophy because you don't need them anymore, once we become reliant on a chemical or a substance, whether it's alcohol to try to fall asleep, whether it is going to be taking a Benadryl because it's over the counter or a lot of these other things that we're talking about. Now you'll hear providers talk about, I'd rather them try, you know, do this than this than right. other pieces, but there is the high level that the first response has to be is, do we really want to have to try to medicate ourselves to do something that our bodies are physically naturally expected to do? If they're at the point where we really do need chemicals to make those modifications, usually there are other things at play. I'm going to save my personal question for, for last, which is, I'll, I'll ask it now, but I don't want you to answer it now, um, unless in the answer to my next question has that answer. And, and my question is, why do I wake up at 3 a.m. every single night? But, because I know that's a popular one. You could Google that, get like 17 million pages of answers. But I want to I wanna now really make sure that we give these families your prescription, quote, end quote, of how do I get back to optimal sleep patterns? And maybe I do need to use some supplements or some minerals or some vitamins. So, you know, nighttime yoga, whatever, doc, you tell me what to do for God's sake, please now. <laughs> <laughs> so 
And, and again, as I said, there are going to be some options that are going to work for some people than others. If you have something that's working and it's healthy for you and it's not broken, don't fix it. But that's probably not going to be the majority of the people listening right now. Fair enough. So what we say is that one of the first keys, as I alluded to before, is having a set schedule, a set bedtime and wake time seven days a week for a strategy, really important key piece. But if you want to take it a step further, it's not just a set bedtime and wake time. But it's truly the time that we're dedicating to sleep and what that ideal window looks like and that being different for different people. So four quick, easy steps to do this. And I will give the caveat that if you're somebody with untreated sleep apnea, if you're somebody with bipolar disorder or seizures, obviously there are certain modifications that you'd want to talk to your medical doctor with. I'm talking high level for the typical adolescent to adult. Now I want to say something real quick about that because I heard a sleep doctor say before, he said, sleep as is as important as breathing to your survival. And if there is anything that is inhibiting healthy breath and airflow, your life is in danger over a short period of time, over a long period of time. And then he said, snoring is a breathing problem period. It is not only disrupting your breathing, it's disrupting your sleeping. So one thing, snoring, is taking you out on two of the most important things to sustain your very existence. So do you concur? Oh, 100%. And think about the impact you see of people with how many days of sleep deprivation and how they can go longer without eating right. than getting sleep. Right, right, right. Okay, so back to your four yeah, so, steps. So, so the first thing is understanding the amount of time that your body needs, not what you think it needs. And meaning that your body, for many people, it needs, they need more than they think it does. The first step is to identify and count up how many hours on average you're getting each night right now. So if you are getting in bed at 10, but you're not falling asleep till 11, that hour doesn't account. Right. Say you sleep from 11 to three, to use your, exa your example, okay, that's four hours. Then you're up from three to four. Maybe you sleep from four to five. Okay, that adds another hour. Then maybe you take a nap in the middle of the afternoon. Okay, so within a 24-hour period, you're getting six hours right now. You've identified that that's what you're getting right now. Next, we're going to choose your new sleep window. And I'm going to start with figuring out what's the earliest that you have to wake up. So maybe Tuesdays and Thursdays, you get up at 6 a.m. because that's your workout class or that's a day you have to travel somewhere. 6 a.m., okay, six hours, I'm going to work my way backwards. That means my new sleep window is midnight to six. That's too late. It can be 11 to five or 10 to four, but don't, but it's the same amount. And now you're going to stick with that for seven days. If you wake up multiple times, maybe it's the fact that you didn't fall asleep till two in the morning. You still are going to sleep when the alarm goes off at six, you get out of bed. You do not nap throughout the day. You're going to feel more tired. Yes. That means it's going to be easier to fall asleep the next night. And so after seven days of doing that, if you still feel tired, if you're not really sleeping, you feel like more, you're not feeling fully rested, then we start to add. One, we adjust the bedtime, not the wake time. We never change the wake time. And you add 15 minutes. Believe it or not, 15 minutes is enough to completely adjust and, and shift things. So we would do 11.45 to six and do that for seven days. Then 11.30 to six, do that for seven days. And so you get to the sweet spot where you're falling asleep within 10 to 15 minutes, sleeping straight through the night, minus one bathroom break, and then being able to wake up the next day and feel rested throughout the day. Now, again, the key with that, that so this is going to be our first tip, is that's where we talked about how much do you need. 
That's finding your ideal sleep spot for your body, your amount. And then the key that's so important is we want consolidated sleep to sleep straight through the night. Because when we're sleeping, we go through different stages and cycles of sleep. And so just like the children's shoots and ladders game, where you have to go back to the beginning, when you wake up, you keep starting over. Well, at the beginning of the night, we spend more time with our body repairing. And at the end of the night, we spend more time, more of a percentage in REM sleep with that mind psychological repair. Well, if we keep waking up, we end up depleting the ability, the amount of time that we spend in certain stages. So then our body either has to decide, okay, skip body repair and jump, and then we feel more tired. So there's just, we cheat ourselves when we're constantly waking up more. I'm not reducing the amount of sleep you're getting. I'm reducing the window, which then gives you that gift of time back. So that's the first step, consistent schedule, determining the window, making those adjustments, seeing where you're at. Any thoughts or comments before I go to the next tip? Nope, keep going. I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. <laughs> no, you're good. Next tip is the way we look at our bed. So as I mentioned to you, your bed should be reserved, your bed should be for sleeping in. And so we wanna make sure that we're not watching TV in bed, working in bed, eating in bed, and also not sleeping anywhere else. So if we fall asleep on the couch and then we wake up and go to bed and we're wide awake, we don't want our brains to be confused of where to sleep. And that's the same reason we talked about, about getting out of bed if you're awake for a long period of time. Then there's going to be the do's and don'ts. When most people Google online, how do I sleep better? They hear this term sleep hygiene. What happens is that while we have predispositions towards some sleep problems, it's not going to be that somebody's going to be born with insomnia. Life happens. It could be a new job. It could be a new baby. It could be all these other things that happen. And then you make adjustments. I'm going to, oh, I didn't sleep well last night. So I'm going to go to bed earlier. Well, now I've stretched it out. If I tell you to make a six inch pizza dough with six inches of dough, you're great. When I try to make that same six inches spread to a 10 inch pie pan, I'm going to have holes and gaps and spaces. Oh, interesting. So when I'm trying to spend more time in bed than my body needs, so 10 hours for six, because that's the only time I get away and I have quiet that day, I actually disrupt the sleep versus having the ideal consolidated window. So that's where, and napping is another one. I'm sorry, but science, it's not me, it's science taking it away. We have to build up enough sleepiness throughout the day to be able to sleep through the night. Hunger, did your mom ever tell you don't eat a snack, you'll ruin your dinner? Yeah. So don't, don't, don't take a nap. You'll ruin your sleep. Wow. Because you, if you need to be sleepy enough to sleep for eight hours, but you napped for two hours, you now only have six hours of sleepiness left. You took too much money out of the bank. Now we got to pay those bills. Huh. So that's the next one. So <laughs> consistency, avoiding the naps, because the naps can also throw off your circadian rhythm, all these other pieces. Exercise is a great piece in terms of not only clearing the mind and focusing, but when we're active and we've been more active throughout the day, then we're going to feel more sleepy at night. We need to sleep longer to be able to rejuvenate from that. For the sleep environment, we want it to be cold, dark, quiet, comfortable. We talked about dark and the impacts of light. Cold enough, about 60 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit that you need a cover because our bodies naturally will show that reduction in temperature, a little bit of that decrease throughout the night. We don't want to be too hot that wakes us up. Quiet, if you have to have noise, 
static noise, a white noise machine or a fan, not the television or anything with voices because those will cause our, brought our bodies, our brains to wake us up because voices trigger a threat response. And if it's good quality music, it's going to have the crescendos and decrescendos, the changes in volume that can wake us up, static noise. Now, if we're going to continue with the do's and don'ts, we talk about avoiding a lot of bright light when you wake up in the middle of the night. Have a night light. Don't turn on all your lights. Don't pick up your phone. It's going to illuminate the entire room. And when you look at it, it turns your brain on instead of keeping it more relaxed and shut down to just use the restroom and come back to bed. But use it in the reverse. When you wake up in the morning, get sunlight, get light exposure as early as possible to send that jolt to your brain saying, okay, it is time to wake up. Want me to keep going? Yes. <laughs> From a substances standpoint, now here's an interesting thing. So one is that a lot of people think that smoking, oh, it relaxes me. People forget that nicotine serves as a stimulant. So smoking before bed can actually have an impact on your, you're laughing, why? Well, because it's, it's like, we see the same thing outside of a 12-step meeting, right? People are drinking monsters and smoking cigarettes, thanking the gods that they're not using drugs. And it's like, uh, and then they go back in and they serve cookies and donuts and coffee. You know, and it's just, it's, it's ridiculous that we know that smoking's a stimulant. So much of what you're talking about, we know as adults. The question then at some point has to be answered. Why don't we do them? And, and that's up to the individual adult, I guess. But that's a digression. Keep going. Easy and simple are two different things. Yeah. Just because it's simple doesn't always mean that it's easy. And to your point, you have a lot of, and for parents too, whether it's what they've been through, what they've seen with their kids, where they say, you know what? If my kid is smoking cannabis, my kid is smoking cigarettes versus doing heroin and cocaine. I'll, you know, so there becomes these trade-offs and then there becomes, it's a whole nother conversation right. that, and I should share with the group, I know you and I talked about, and then I'll, I'll jump back in, that I helped to design a, a unique treatment where we were working with inpatient addiction, uh, intensive outpatient addiction programs, where we actually were incorporating stress, anxiety, and sleep programming within to have a significant impact on relapse prevention to help to secure from not just the detox process but through the whole as we were doing a four-week intensive outpatient program and we're seeing significant positive impacts of improving sleep because we know that sleep is such a huge culprit within the addiction world specifically whether it is as we said you're you're using because you want to fall asleep or because you want to numb out or you want to forget something that's happened or you want to shut it off or you're using because you want to stay awake and you don't want to sleep because you don't want to go in your bed or you are just so exhausted all the time. You're using because you're so anxious. And oh my gosh, what are people going to think about me? There's so many aspects where sleep plays this huge role with quieting the mind, quieting the body, or keeping it more activated that that's where this plays really key into what you and I first started with. Right. So that ties into when we talk about substances and sleep about alcohol. And this is something that we saw skyrocket, especially during the pandemic. Oh, I'm going to have a few drinks. It's going to help me to fall asleep. What people don't realize is that while it may help you to become unconscious, it does not mean that it's going to facilitate quality restorative sleep. We can see it's suppressing your ability to get that REM sleep that I was talking about that impacts memory, attention, focus, concentration, our brain's ability to really have that restoration and that rest. We know that for a lot of folks too, it triggers chemical systems like GABA and glutamate where you fall asleep, but three, four hours later, you wake up wide awake 
because since you were putting so much of the this on the balance scale on the sleep side and on the, the feeling more sleepy, your body is going to start to overproduce on the stimulant side because it wants to get back in balance. Well, then you've metabolized out the alcohol and you tip the scales on the other side. That's why so many people from a hangover standpoint, right. they pass out for four or five hours. They wake up later, wide awake, jolted awake. Now they're feeling more anxious, their heart's racing, and it just triggers and toggles back and forth the rest of the day. So we want to be cautious. I'm not saying that legally, you know, if you're over 21 and your doctor says it's able to drink that you'll never have a nightcap, but do your due diligence and recognize the impact on the quantity and the time when it is that you're consuming from a healthy standpoint. Right. And the research just came out. There's an article that came out last week, and I, I can't say where it is, but everybody can do their own Google search. There is no such thing as one drink a night is good for you. That, the, the, the one glass of wine a night is crap. And, and it, it, is, it shows nothing but degeneration of the brain period, plain and simple. And everybody's like, what? I've been told. Of course you've been told. Guess who funded the old studies? So, okay. Where are we on our steps? Are you at three? Um, so a few more things. So okay. the other substance that I really do want to highlight is caffeine. Yeah. Um, a few things with that one, we know that, and when I'm talking to people, I'll, I'll play the game. I don't know. Do you, do you, have we had this conversation? I think we, we've chatted about it, that for caffeine, how long it takes for the body to metabolize the amount of caffeine in one cup of coffee? No, we didn't you know the it. answer. You want to no, take I a guess? Uh, God, I want to say like seven hours. So the half-life for caffeine is, a, is around five hours. It takes on average at least seven to eight hours for the wow. body to metabolize the caffeine in one cup of coffee. One cup. So, and it's not just coffee. So if you think of with tea and with the sodas and the energy drinks and all these other pieces that we see the impacts for, so there's that whole piece. And if you can drink it and fall right to sleep, let's talk about the tolerance, another story. Yeah. So we know that also from, uh, as we're getting into more things that can disrupt your sleep, exercise while it's helpful. You don't want to do it right before bed. So when are we doing that? Not saying that you'll never watch TV or read a book, but let's talk about technology, how it comes to play. Does it need to be right under your pillow? We see it, we talked about it. And for adolescents in general, their circadian rhythms naturally have them more delayed to be sleepy later at night anyway. And then we add technology. Now let's talk about your clock. When you wake up in the middle of the night, does it really matter what time it is? But how many times do we check it? And then our mind starts thinking, oh, well, I don't have enough time to sleep or, oh, I might have to be up in 45 minutes. I won't fall back to sleep. And then it wakes up, starts yeah. running and racing. That's where, in terms of the reading happens. Eating, we've touched on. You don't want, just like you don't want to eat too much before swimming. Don't go to bed hungry, but you don't want to eat too much and your body's trying to focus on digestion, all those concerns, plus the sugary snacks and things that can amp you up and throw off your systems. So for some other do's and don'ts, obviously I touched on that worry time, that processing writing, that's a huge piece. And then for your wind down routines, there's also the physical relaxation. So strategies like your four count breathing, progressive muscle relaxation is a really core key one. Anecdotally, my patients tell me all the time about whether with pain or with twitches and movements and just getting the body grounded, relieving tension, Mindfulness exercises. That's the one, real quick, that's the one where you tighten your cheeks and then relax and tighten your neck and relax and then shoulders and then arms and then chest and then belly and you take it all the way down tip to, tip to toe. That's what you're talking about. Yes. So from okay. head to toe, you overly tighten and then release the muscle groups all the way through the body. So you progress through the body. 
When you overly tighten and release, it relieves tension, which then helps to send the messages to the brain. Oh, there's no more tension. I'm not in fight or flight response. I don't need to be producing the chemicals to protect myself. There mustn't be a threat. And so it helps the body to be able to relax. It's a really great one for individuals to do to have a good impact, not just on their sleep, but on their stress and anxiety level. I do a weekly well-being Wednesday video clip that gets posted on my websites on LinkedIn and all different Facebook, Instagram. And I actually walked folks through how to do one of those last week, but you can either connect with me that way. There's tons of free apps and scripts that you can Google, but it's really just finding the strategies that our bodies go into these hyped up, basically protect ourselves against threat mode. And think about it. If there's a threat, your body's not going to let you sleep because it wants to protect you and keep you alive. Right. So sometimes we have to actually help the physical body to rest and relax through relaxation, through stretching, through breathing, through these different things to also get the physical body ready for sleep as well. How's that for a list of tips? Crap, that's incredible. And and because this is a podcast, which means it'll live in perpetuity and go on forever. If you miss some of them, go back and listen to the show again. All right, Doc, let's make sure that they can get in touch with you download to us now a list of the ways they can find you, read your books, watch your videos, listen to you talk, go to your website, everything. No worries. So my website is Mind Impact Consulting. So Mind, M-I-N-D, Impact, I-M-P-A-C-T, consulting.com. Under the Insights tab, I have my sleep guide. So the sleep book with 16 strategies and tips to help that is free to download there, as well as other resources and articles. You can connect with me through social media, whether it is through Instagram, through LinkedIn, Facebook, have all the pages there. And I do my weekly, I, it's called Wellbeing Wednesday, and it's a quick two to three minute video blog, quick tip, practical application, doesn't take a long time, some kind of strategy. Sometimes it's about sleep. Sometimes it's about managing stress and anxiety. Sometimes it's for more of our adults in the workplace, handling workplace well-being and all different factors that have an impact. And it's on the website and social media as well. And you have a book. Well, so right now, The Sleep Guide, we're in the process of taking that and converting that and expanding it. Got so it. we have the short version right now. There is a a need to expedite the process because of the pandemic and the way that people's sleep was being impacted. Yeah. So we put that out first and the more expanded version is currently in the works under review and edits. Okay. And then being able to contact you directly. So you can either email me at Dr. Milanic at mindimpactconsulting.com, which to spell my last name, it's M-I-L-A-N-A-K. So Dr. Milanic at mindimpactconsulting.com is probably the easiest, but you can also go to the website if you forget and send me a message through any of the social media and I'll be quick to respond back as well. Or through you and you can get them in touch with me. I absolutely would get them in touch with you. And uh, you and I are going to do a second show. I'm already dropping that one here because there are so many more things to talk about and discuss. And yes, we have talked about you coming to the facility. I want to, so stay on the line for a second so you and I can talk about you coming to the facility to work with the teens. Um, but Doc, thank you. Thank you for for this. This is what I wanted parents to hear from you. Thank you so much. I've, even if it helps one person, I'm glad to hear it. Remember, if not tonight, the next night, you will be able to get good quality sleep and just keep doing what you're doing and making a difference. 
Awesome. Stay with me for a second. I'm going to sign people out. What a show. She's really good. She she just has a way of just coming right across and hammering us with all this information. And you know there's so much more. So make sure you go uh, to Dr. Melissa's sites and get the information that she's got for you. She's a big brain. Pay attention to her. I want to thank Deepin Productions for the creation of the song for Beyond Risk and Back and producing these podcasts. I want to thank Your Cause Consulting for making sure that my podcasts get in front of the right people. Parents, go to Parenting Teens That Struggle. That's a private group on Facebook. I'll make sure that you have and get the support that you need, if not with me, with someone else. If you're wondering whether or not your child does need treatment, start with us there. Okay, and ask the questions about treatment, not only to me, but to other parents. Really do your due diligence when it comes to treatment. You can find out more about my treatment facility, Fire Mountain Programs, at firemountainprograms.com. Folks, I will see you again in a couple of weeks. But until then, parents, you know the gig. Take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because that's how you're going to do your best work with your children. My name's Aaron Huey. Thank you for joining me on Beyond Risk and Back. I'll see you soon.